Silent night, it was not. All was not calm and all was not bright. That day when Isaiah the prophet went to King Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7 to confront him. You see, the king was well aware of the, the situation at hand. Invasion was coming. As Assyria to the east, this large pagan nation looked at the Israelites and looked at Judah and saw the potential for invasion. The neighbors of the north, Syria and Israel, began to join forces. And they came up with this idea and they thought, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go down and we're going to speak to Judah and tell it to invade Assyria with us. And if they don't, we're going to invade them. And scripture says the heart of God's people shook like trees of the forest, shake before the wind in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 2. It's at that moment that Isaiah tells the king, trust God. Ahaz, trust God. If you're not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all, verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 7. And then he tells King Ahaz, ask God for a sign. And Ahaz responds and says, I'm not going to put God to the test. And Isaiah in his frustration says, then I'll give you a sign from God. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. It's an interesting prophecy. A prophecy that would have an immediate context to it, an immediate application, and also one that would be fulfilled years later. For Ahaz, it was a message that his son would represent the future. That Judah has a future because God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. But I want you to know, as Ahaz hears this message and as as Isaiah delivers it, this is not perhaps the first time that a message like this has hit the ears of the Israelite. After all, God had been with them many times in the past. If we were to open up the pages of Scripture and begin to, fo- to, to follow through the story of the Bible, we would see multiple stories over and over again of how God was with his people. It would begin perhaps even before Scripture was ever written in the story of the creation as God was with Adam and Eve. He walked with them and he spoke with them in the cool of the day. In Eden, that relationship was close. There was a a closeness, a connection with God. They experienced God's compassion and they had conversation with him. But we know the story. We know how because of sin and temptation, Adam and Eve chose to disobey their God and eventually experience separation. Separation from God and separation from the Garden of Eden. 
separation from peace and from joy. But the story would not end there because you see, people would continue to draw near to God and God would continue to draw near to people. We read the story about Moses in the burning bush. And in the story, God comes down in the form of this burning bush and connects to Moses. And Moses, because of his own sinful human nature, removes his sandals. This is holy ground. There's still some separation there, but God is is near. And God speaks to Moses, and he says these words, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. God with us. He heard their cries, and God delivers them out of the hands of the Egyptians, out of the hands of Pharaoh, and they begin to walk through the wilderness, and it's there that God is with them in the form of a cloud by day and fire by night. I am with you, he would say, over and over again. It's there that God came to Mount Sinai, and they saw a form of his presence there as God spoke with Moses. Now, they couldn't come close because of their sinful nature, but they saw that God was near, that he had drawn near to them. And there God told them about the Ark of the Covenant, that he would give them this, this ark that they could carry with them into battle or as they went along and the, the priests who, who were holy before God could hold that and, and carry it before them. A symbol that God was on the move in their presence. And God told them there, I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. He said, I will pitch a tent among you. And it's there he gave them the tabernacle, God's tent, because God was with them. And his flame shined above the tabernacle and his cloud was above the tabernacle. And there in the tabernacle, God placed his ark of the covenant. God with them. And as Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, God was with them in the form of the Ark of the Covenant. God went with them into battle. And he told them, don't be afraid, for I, your God, am with you. And he gave them courage as they walked into battle. It was that land that they eventually would conquer for God, the promised land. And there, a young boy named David would write a psalm. And in that psalm, he would say this, the Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you, you're with me. And that David wanted deeply to replace that tabernacle, to build a home where God could be, a permanent place, a temple. And God himself said, I never asked that of you, but David wanted to do that. Eventually, his son Solomon would make that temple. 
where God would dwell among his people. As Jeremiah would write, Aren't I a God at hand and not a God who is far away? I am with you. So as Isaiah spoke those words about Emmanuel, there was nothing new in a sense because God had drawn near to them so many times in so many miraculous ways before. But this time he said, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Perhaps, you know, you know God with us, perhaps he, he heard those words and as Isaiah spoke them and Ahaz heard them, perhaps the way they sounded sounded similar to the messages they'd heard before. After all, we have seen so many miraculous ways that God has been with us. But what King Ahaz didn't know is that this time it would be different because in this two-part prophecy, part one, although it would be fulfilled now, part two is so much different and so much greater and it won't be fulfilled for some seven hundred years. Seven hundred years of waiting and anticipating and that struggle between God and man of drawing near and then feeling far and being close and feeling far away. Seven hundred years of angels longing to look into these things. Seven hundred years of the prophets prophesying what would come and kings anticipating this ultimate event this ultimate time, the ultimate apex, pinnacle, maximum, greatest, be-all, and end-all, superior testimony of God. A testimony of God that would change the way humans interacted with God. That God would come 700 years later and he would blow it out. Greater than a burning bush. More exciting than a flaming cloud in the sky. A spectacle that was greater than the Ark of the Covenant, more mobile than the tabernacle, and more sturdy and strong than the temple itself. When God came down to earth as Jesus. Jesus. Flesh and blood, heaven on earth, away in a manger. No crib for a bed. That little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. As stars in the sky looked down where he lay, that little Lord Jesus asleep in the hay. Be near me. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask you to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. This was the story of God coming near Emmanuel. And so we read the passage of Scripture as it unfolds in Matthew chapter 1, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want you to hear one thing as, as, as the message was conveyed by the angels. I want you to hear exactly what they said this Emmanuel would do in the context here in Matthew chapter 1. Listen to verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus because he will save the people of their sins. You know, in the different ways that God had come before the people, there was always a purpose. Always. I mean, when God came in the form of the burning bush, it was to communicate, the purpose was to communicate with Moses. As God came in the, the form of a cloud by day, perhaps it was to keep the sun off of the Israelites walking in, in the desert, or, or in the, the form of a, a fire by night to keep them warm in the desert. All these different ways that we see God's presence for different reasons, but here the reason is this. He will save you from your sins. And as we hear that message, it goes all the way back to the very first time that God was with them. When Adam and Eve had chosen to sin against their God, resulting in separation. But now, God is with us again. And he has come to set us free from our sins so that there is no separation, so that we can be with God forever. This is the message that we read in Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles and you want to look there. Romans chapter 8. It says this in verse 32. God did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all. This is the message of Romans 8. 32, that God is with us forever because he gave us Jesus. Jesus born in the manger. But more than that, the Jesus who would die on the cross as a Messiah for our sins. God gave us Jesus. He was the gift of God. The gift of Jesus given by God for us. But Romans goes on in verse 33 and 34. It says, it is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Romans 8, Romans 8 says, God has given us Jesus, and through Jesus, he justifies us. You see, God is with us forever because Jesus makes us right before God. That word justification of Scripture brings with it the idea of meeting the legal requirements to create fellowship between God and man. Jesus is that perfect sacrifice that allows us by faith to draw near to God. In other words, Jesus is the gift of God to bring us peace. Peace with God that we can connect to God and be drawn near to him and have fellowship with him. But Romans 8 goes on and it says this. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. 
So Romans wraps up and he says, not only is Jesus the one who gives us peace, but Jesus is the one who acts on our behalf for God. He acts as our advocate, working on your behalf so that you can draw near to God. In other words, Jesus brings us not only peace, but grace. Grace. This grace so that I will never be separated from God again. That's what I want you to know today. It's because in the past, God was drawn near to them, but they were still separated in different ways from their God, but no longer. I don't have to worry about being separated from God ever again because Jesus has drawn God near. God is with us. Well, if we take that Romans passage and we put it all together, here's what it says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how much more will he not also get uh, with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who, will sh- who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? God has drawn near and you will never be separated again. Isn't that good news? How do we have that? We have that because of Emmanuel. Because God drew near to us, became a child, born in a manger, who was destined to die on the cross, to resurrect and ascend into heaven, and draw us near to him. He has drawn near to us. Here's my question for you. Have you drawn near to him? Maybe it's time to draw near to Emmanuel. Maybe it's time to believe in him and to have faith in him, to put on him in baptism and to trust him. Maybe it's time to call him your Lord and Savior, to be drawn near like the wise men and like the shepherds, to be drawn near like Mary and Joseph, to be drawn near to Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe it's time today. If you draw near, you will never be separated, for he is near. He loves you so much. If you need anything from this body, we are here to serve you today. Won't you come now as we stand and as we sing together?